The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Just as we uh, yeah, move along here, I love this text from Piper following that conversation we had about mattresses and sleeping in separate rooms, that sort of stuff. My mother told me, you don't skimp, skimp on two things in life, shoes and mattresses. <laughs> yeah, fair. I, like I say, whatever would make my wife happy, I'm happy to do. But she's a lot like me. Like She's a lot like me. When we see a price tag of $4,000 uh-huh. for a mattress, I think we both kind of go, no. That's just ridiculous. But if that's the cost of a good night's sleep, that's the cost, right? Hey, do you want to talk about this thing? I don't know how much to say about it, but I'm just, I'm fascinated by watching this thing unfold over the course of the last week or so. Tim Hortons has a major PR nightmare on their hands. And what makes it worse is that Descendants of the founders are at at the heart of this, and so if you if you haven't heard about it, it's pretty straightforward. There, there, uh, Ron Joyce and Tim Horton formed Tim Hortons. That's the partners who created Tim Hortons. Ron Joyce, a former um, OPP officer, and Tim Hortons, a former hockey player, they formed what has now become this massive chain of uh, franchises, Tim Hortons. The families were very close for a long period of time, and so close, in fact, that Ron Joyce's son married um, a Horton, uh, Tim Horton's daughter. So they're combined both in business and in uh, marriage and in family. And now the families themselves, and I guess it doesn't really matter, but just as a bit of background, drifted apart because at some point Ron Joyce bought out Tim Horton's widow and there was some speculation back there that she was not treated fairly in that buyout, and he voluntarily gave her more money, and they eventually settled. And I haven't heard anything of that in some time, but the Horton family has been pretty uninvolved in Tim Hortons and Ron, and Ron Joyce, who the later sold his shares to Burger King. I mean, there's this thing has evolved over the years. It's mm-hmm. become this massive thing, right? But along the way, somewhere along the way, uh, a Joyce and a Horton married, opened some Tim Hortons themselves, or got the franchise, in Coburg, Ontario. And last week, a letter was sent out by uh, Joyce Jr. and his wife, Jerry Horton Joyce, who's the daughter of the company's co-founder, Tim Horton, telling employees at their two Tim Hortons restaurants that they own that as of January 1, they would no longer be entitled to paid breaks. They would have to pay at least half the cost of their dental and health benefits. And they blamed it on... The economy on uh, the rise in um, well, the Ontario government is the Ontario pushing government the minimum is, right. Wage minimum wage went up, yeah. but they also and this, as I say, the reason I told you that there's some animosity between the two families and has been over the years is that the third party that they're blaming is Tim Hortons. <laughs> so they're saying that look, the organization is not being supportive in allowing them to reduce costs any other way than to have it on the backs of their employees. 
The problem is Tim Hortons, whether you like them or don't like them, you would have to accept. And I know a lot of people argue, oh, are you kidding me? McDonald's coffee is way better. Whatever. You would still have to agree, would you not, that Tim Hortons is woven into the fabric of the country. It's Yes. Yeah, it's, you know, it, the beaver, Tim Hortons, I mean, they're hockey. There's just certain things that are so Canadian, and Tim Hortons is one of them. And it seems, I think, so un-Canadian to hurt the workers at any particular Tim Hortons location and to blame your own organization, minimum wage. And especially when you talk about no-paid breaks... What goes hand in hand with breaks? Tim Hortons coffee. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like it, this is just a PR nightmare. And I don't know who's the most to blame, whether it's whether it is those reasons that the the couple has said, you know, the minimum wage and Tim Hortons not coming, you know, not stepping up in the economy and competition and everything else. Or if you were to blame these two owners by saying, what were you thinking when you put a letter out like that, that it was obviously going to become news? I don't know who to blame or what to do, but nobody is reacting to this in, within the Tim Hortons organization. Nobody is saying, okay, we're going to fix this. And actually, it's become more public because the Premier of Ontario is specifically taking on Tim Hortons and saying, if you're... I mean, basically, the the way they're... I don't want to say spinning it, but the way they're portraying it is, so wait a minute, we're trying to look after minimum wage people, people who struggle to make ends meet, and you're telling me that a corporation as big as Tim Hortons has to hurt those very same employees that we're trying to help. And no matter how you feel about this, you again would have to agree they got a PR nightmare yeah. on their hands. I mean, the thing is, we're seeing the same thing in this in this province as as well. We have all sorts of businesses saying that they can't afford the minimum uh, wage hike to $15, although ours has been a slower step. Although I know mm-hmm. for some people, they're like, yeah, it still hurts, but it's been a slower step because I think this one is... I was just looking at it. Um, yeah, up two forty an hour. So from eleven sixty an hour up to fourteen an hour, then it'll go up to fifteen. You're absolutely, and you hit the nail on the head. The many businesses, aside from the Tim Hortons, who's in the news, have said basically the same thing that they need time to adjust to this increase. Mm-hmm. But it's been implemented so quickly that they have to move quickly, and the easiest way to move quickly is to mm-hmm. slash benefits and or hours you know on the other hand i was i was talking with um the owner of his owners of a small restaurant that's only been on the scene in edmonton probably for just over a year now and they made it their business model to make sure that their staff were making minimum wage or more mm-hmm. and were getting health benefits because they said as as uh, as people in the restaurant industry over many many years, they didn't get any of that, so they worked it into their into their business model, hmm. and it's working. It's absolutely working. I mean, the minimum wage isn't isn't killing them. Right. Well, a couple. That's interesting. A couple other facts to kind of throw out. I hope this doesn't cloud the issue more. But a couple of other things to sort of consider are this: that the restaurant industry in general, because people are portraying. Um, restaurants as being these huge centers of profit that are... It's usually pretty tight. Really tight. The uh, profit margin at a restaurant is very, very tight. So I do understand that aspect of it. But again, I think people are looking at Tim Hortons as a corporation. Um, That is um, a multi-billion. Right. And they're not looking at individual 
and again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. I'm saying that any individual restaurant does have a very tight profit margin. And something else that I'll just throw out there, and again, with no opinion attached to it, when all of these minimum wage, when Alberta was moving to a higher minimum wage, I did a lot of reading on it. And I tripped across, and don't have them in front of me right now, but I tripped across a couple of studies uh, from both the United States and Canada, which indicated that there is actually no... Um, notable decrease in um, employment numbers in any jurisdiction that's raised their minimum wage. But again, everyone raises it a different way, by a different amount and Mm -hmm. in a different amount of time. But generally speaking, statistics suggest that the claims that people will lose their jobs are not valid. But again... Uh, that's just a study. And well, it depends on how each business that's impacted is going to decide to, to handle right. it. So if they don't believe that they can afford to pay exactly. their employee a couple dollars more an hour over the next couple of years, you know, some would say you need a be- better business model, number one. Right. Um, others would say, hey, you know what, you guys don't know what you're talking about because you're not in this business. And I get that. I, I'm, and, you and know, in dealing with statistics, you're, you're looking at large populations yeah. of numbers, right? So if in this studio they decided that the budget for two announcers or for this Mm -hmm. show was this much and I leave um, but I join another radio station the employment figures would say that there was no you know adjustment to employment but obviously I left so one more thing on this front is now that there's this call for a boycott right um, and wasn't didn't that happen a couple of years ago? Something with the B, something. Yeah, boycotts. Boycotts are. They, I mean, they ha, there have have been occasions which boycotts have worked. Uh, yeah, but it's like, oh, the, the no gassing up on right. Thursday or whatever. But even if it doesn't work, the call for a boycott is again bad, bad publicity for a chain that's at the forefront of our minds like Tim Hortons. Are you willing to pay more? Are you willing to pay five cents more for a cup of coffee? Well, here's the thing. I've been paying more. You know I'm a loyal Tim Hortons customer. I've been paying more and seeing price increases at Tim Hortons that were explained to me as the cost of beans had gone up, the cost of coffee had gone up, and I happily paid it. So... If in Alberta or Ontario they were to tell me that the price of a coffee is going up by 10 cents a coffee because of minimum wage, to be honest with you, I'd be happy to pay it. Uh, Joel's on the phone. He wants to weigh in. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. Good. What's going on? Well, a couple, couple things first. Um, the, the divestiture of that company was made long before, and the money was made long before these two franchises got their franchise. So it's not That's like right. they're super rich people. That's right. Um, and Tim Hortons... Tim Hortons imposes a significant amount of corporate fees in a variety of different ways on their franchisees, and therefore the, the actual margins for these Tim Hortons franchises are, are not as big as uh, as people might think, uh, based on what you read in the in the media anyway. Yep. So so then you've got you know you've got this huge amount of uh, of uh, of increase in the minimum wage, a uh, couple of small margins for individual business owners, because that's basically what these these Tim Hortons are all owned by individual uh, business owners. That's right. And they got to do what they got to do in order to keep their keep their margins uh, where where they need to keep them. So. And that and that is to interrupt for a moment. That is part of what these two are saying in Coburg, Ontario, is that if the corporate office would reduce some of those fees and franchise costs, that they could easily maintain everything they've done previously with their employees. They've named their own corporation as being part of the problem. Absolutely. And, I mean, the corporation's got, I mean, again, it's not quite Canadian corporation anymore, right? It's owned by That's right. somebody down in the States. So it's, it's in the Canadian fabric. 
but it's not really the Canadian mom and pop organization that we all kind of came to know and love. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And even who even knows where where the donuts are made? <laughs> I bought my house from the guy who used to be Tim Hortons regional manager, and he, he explained the whole how the how the frozen donuts came to be. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the corporation taking ultimate control from the individual franchises. So. And you know, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'd forgotten about that. But that's what I mean. When some some companies, we have another story in front of us. We might get to today about how airlines handle social media and some and some problems. But Tim Hortons has had a PR problem before, and it's with regard to their donuts. And you'll recall that people discovered that Made Fresh Daily is a brand name. It's not Made Fresh Daily. And that the donuts were cooked in Ontario somewhere and trucked out to the various locations and then finished up, uh, you know, in, uh, in Edmonton. You know, the final 20 minutes of baking was done in Edmonton. And it was a PR nightmare, and they didn't handle it well. And now here we are again with another PR nightmare, and they're not handling it well. This should never have gotten to the point of a premier and a corporation fighting publicly yeah. about minimum wage. No, I mean, my, my, my last comment will be there, there's a lot of economists, a lot smarter than me, who have, have weighed in on that there's going to be impacts based on these huge minimum wage increases, and I'm talking percentage-wise, and, and you're not going to be able to get away with them, and this, this is just the thin edge of the wedge with some of these impacts. Yeah, and it's an, you know, there's a lot of people who don't agree with minimum wage increases, of course, as there are here in this province as well. This became a really good catalyst. Like, this just became a really good item where you can shine a flashlight on it and say, see, there it is. Like, despite what any other statistics might say, here's two restaurants in Coburg, Ontario, that are screwing over their employees because of yeah, your minimum. You know, like, but it just I guess becomes if I, such if I don't thing. see the, 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 the company's bottom lines, I, I, right. I, I'm like, okay, well, then show me. If you're having that much uh, difficulty and you're, you're cutting back this and you're doing that, then show me it. But show you know, me it. Exactly. And they don't have to show me. They don't. And the only story that people are talking about is the one we're talking Talking about that some minimum wage yeah. people in Coburg, Ontario are getting screwed by yeah. their company. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole conversation, right? Joel, thanks for the call. Appreciate hearing from you. A couple of texts have come in this afternoon. Love them back to back. Completely opposite. Balderdash. If you can't pay a minimum wage, you're either greedy, terrible at business, or aren't, or aren't providing a service people will pay for. Number one. Number two, I completely blame the government for this Tim Hortons fiasco. The people who own small businesses always get the shaft conversation when it comes to tim hortons minimum wage uh you know mainly in ontario yes uh, you know focused right now on in coburg ontario it's a great conversation i'm really enjoying these texts and several people very angry but i'm actually quite enjoying them today and this question just jumped out at me Mm -hmm. if the owner's names weren't horton and joyce would this be a story and boycotting tim hortons is just going to put more pressure on their already thin margin um that's a great question i maybe not if it was just a couple of Tim Hortons, I think the angle is, the hook is, these are mm. descendants of, the, yeah, these are family I, members of the founders. I think because of what you said earlier, the fact that Tim Hortons is so ingrained in Canadian yes. culture, I, say, I think it still would be, I think it still would be a story that adds into it for sure a little bit more. So some phone calls, we don't have much time. Brian, go ahead. Good afternoon. Good. Good. What's going on? Well, you know, uh, it basically, uh, all the minimum wage, doesn't even matter who the con- company's name is. If they have shareholders, your job is in jeopardy. Because, you know, you look at Sobeys, you look at all of this stuff that's going on, we don't know what's going on, and names are just names. I mean, uh, shareholders demand, and the shareholders were debt because the corporation owe the shareholders. 
And it's, it's pretty straight up. Brian? Everybody two, three years ago that jumped on Tim Horton's shares, you're paying for it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian, thanks for the call. We've got two more to get to before we have to go break for the bottom of the hour. Hi, Mike. What's on your mind? Hi, guys. I'll be... I'll be quick. Uh, first, obviously, the thing that bugs me the most is uh, the Ontario thing is, is a little bit crazy. They're jumping from 11 to 14. They are. That's yes, right. it's big. That's a big change for a, for a small business owner. I mean, if, if you got got 100 employees and you're paying them 14 bucks an hour, you have your budget set for the year. All of a sudden, you're going to add 3 bucks to every person. Dramatic change. I don't agree with that much of a change. Mm-hmm. Um, on a second point, the, the thing that concerns me the most about this, and a lot of people haven't said it is, I, I learned very quick when I got to high school and worked a job that if I worked a certain amount of overtime, um, it, I would see the difference in the taxes that came off my check. So I figured out that perfect amount of days, worked those days. But does anybody think if people are pay, being paid more money that they're actually going to see less money now and pay more tax? I, I didn't follow that last question. Yeah, you lost me. Sorry. Okay. So you, the more you make, the more, ta- the more you pay in taxes. Right. If you're... If you if your paycheck was twelve hundred dollars before, and I was sitting getting paid fourteen hundred bucks, a lot of people think, "Oh, that's great! I'm going to get paid sixteen hundred, But you're really not because you're you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. Is that not? Oh, gonna, I well, see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it depends on that tax right. bracket. Where and really, to be honest bracket. with you, at the end of the day, the one last thing I don't think we've thrown in here yet is this is almost entirely a political move. Anyway, is when faces an election, she's it's going to be a not tough a popular fight. Premier and hasn't been pretty right. Much all so along. she's attempting to appeal to her base, which would be workers blue collar by saying look i took care of you um i I raised your minimum wage and business owners uh are 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 pushing back saying you're taking care of your base but you're not taking care of us right it's the argument that goes on here as well around and around and around yeah Yeah, absolutely mike thanks for the phone call uh jeff i have about 30 seconds what's on your mind okay the 240 minimum wage is actually the employee will have or the employer will pay more when you look at your EI deduction, yes, you multiply that, that times 1.4 times. Mm-hmm. That's what the employee or employer pays. As your CPP, the employer pays the same amount as the employee per paycheck. So it's actually more than a $2.40 increase. It's yeah, you know what? Yeah, Jeff, you know what? The Toronto Star did a, a good article today breaking it all down. I'd urge you to to, to Google mm-hmm. it if you're wondering about the, the full breakdown and the full cost. Jeff, appreciate you taking the time to call. But again, Toronto Star, just Google Tim Hortons. Yeah, it's Cobra. a good review. Lots of stuff in there. Uh, a quick break here for the 3.30 News. We'll continue the conversation, plus check in with Jesse Byer, find out what's going on with the weather after the 3.30 News. Ah, uh, yes. And Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Oh, sorry. Awful to start a segment with a snort. Oh, no. Hey, whenever you can <laughs> have a good snortle. There's nothing the matter with that. I don't snort much when you're not here, so I didn't do it for the last couple of weeks. But, uh, man, you kill me from time to time. Yeah, well, I'm killing myself right now. There you go. Uh, Mexican bug has not left the building. Is that a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, We've got supper tonight with our listeners. We do. So let's be careful. Maybe we should reserve you a table next to the washroom. Oh, I washed my hands. It's good. Okay. No, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. I just meant so that you could leave if you have to unexpectedly. Oh, it's, yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, What would you like to talk about? 
Sleeping in the same bed. No. Although I really did enjoy that hour. It's it was amazing. a great conversation. You know what? I love conversations where... It just happens. It just happens, and there's good engagement from the listeners, and I like any conversation where you realize that what's happening in your home is normal. It's not abnormal. Well, yeah, and that's... You know, when I was away, and people find out that you're a talk show host, oh, well, what's your show about? Is it about politics? Is it about anything? Like <laughs> yeah, I said, I well, it can be about politics, but it can be about anything. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the, the groovy thing about this show, mm-hmm. is that it goes from one extreme to the other. And what you just said, we get, you know, you get emails that say, you know, it's, it's real life. Okay. Are you going to sleep in the same bed? What are you doing yeah. with the with the sheets? How are you? <laughs> well, when you think about it, and I, I believe this to be absolutely true. So in the last few days, there's been announcements and speculation, for example, about who's going to lead the Alberta plan, yes. right? Um, and yet we opened this show with whether or not <laughs> you should sleep in the same bed as a married couple. And I'll guarantee you that more people are probably engaged yeah. and concerned and interested in that first conversation over the latter. A lot of we read up on this stuff and keep an eye on it, but at the end of the day, the stuff that really matters to people is the slice of life, day to day stuff that they actually have to deal with. They can and, relate to, right? Like I'm, I'm watching with some amount of curiosity this uh, leadership. Absolutely, and because hey, it, here's let me tell you something. Stephen Mandela all of a sudden throws his name in there. I was like, whoa, that's interesting. I was quite surprised, not to the level of shocked, but quite surprised. Now you know. I'll, I consider uh, Mr. Mandel to be a friend. I mm-hmm. quite like him. Um, he ran, actually, in my riding when he was defeated in this last uh, cleansing of MLAs when the NDP took power. And you'll recall that Jim Prentice made him uh, the health minister, minister health. when he didn't even have a seat, and nor was he a doctor. But uh, he got after that portfolio, uh, did win a by-election, so did sit as an MLA, but it was short-lived because, again, the NDP came in. But it's the whole thing's sort of interesting to me from a couple of perspectives. But, again, it's it's as interesting as the Coburg-Tim Hortons in so much as what they do out there probably won't affect me. And what goes on out here might not affect me either. I, I find it interesting that Greg Clark, in the first place, stepped down. So he created the Alberta I, I Party. Was, I was surprised that Greg Clark stepped down. Yeah. Um, and, and I really liked Greg Clark. I, I yeah, enjoyed talking I. to him. thought he was an interesting uh, cat. Um, Very approachable. But maybe sometimes you've had, you have to shake it up. Draw I suppose. Draw some more attention to it. it. It is interesting, though, that, you know, typically what happens is a party falters and the leader falls on his sword, right? Like, you know, when Jim Prentice uh, called mm-hmm. that election and didn't, when and the NDP came into power, the first thing he did was resign. That's right. Right. Um, Danielle Smith, when she did not form government, crossed the floor. Like that's not a resignation, but she she left her party. Right. So leaders tend to take parties that have disappointed and leave them or resign from them and allow somebody else to take them across the finish line. But in this case, the Alberta party actually, I think, was gaining momentum. There was no real big critique of it. And with the UCP, has gained even more momentum where people wanted an alternative, something between the NDP and the UCP. And that was the point at which Greg Clark resigned, which is just weird. 
to be honest. I don't know another word to describe it. But now the individuals who are stepping up and saying that they would potentially like the lead today include MLA Rick Fraser, mm-hmm. right? Um, Steve Mandel, you just mentioned, has, is expected to announce tomorrow. Um, there's others, right? I'm missing. Who am I missing? Uh, Calgary Energy lawyer Kara Levi mm-hmm. and uh, Jacob Huffman. So it looks like there's going to be a good competitive race for leader. And, uh, you know, you rolled your eyes. You didn't roll your eyes, but I said, I'm not sure it's going to affect me. Do you think, and I'm asking you your opinion, Jayla and I, do you think that the Alberta party has a legitimate chance of forming a government? In this election? In this next election, whatever it is. I I don't believe it has a chance to uh, form the next uh, party, but I do believe it has a real opportunity to grow um, and become another uh, opposition party in in this province. And I think one that is needed and and another voice that is definitely needed from, from, you know, in the middle, from, you know, something different than the right, something different than the left, something where, you know, those who are disenfranchised franchise with the right and the left can meet and go okay as a centrists let's say um, this is this is this can be our home and um, and and we can push forward that way I, I don't think can form government um, no, but I do believe that there could be um, some gains there, and and I and I really do hope there is because I, I think um, strong opposition parties are important in the process. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, and, and different voices. So I would I would suggest, and I I'm not I didn't mean to set you up for a fall. We can disagree on things. I would suggest that they have a legitimate opportunity to form a government. Do you? Only because this is Alberta. It's a weird thing about Albertans. We have grown accustomed. If you've been around as long as I have. Um, no one would have thought that the NDP, exactly. except for them, on two weeks out and, and the right. polls and, and Notley actually thought that that was going to happen. No one saw the NDP. So, oh, well, exactly. I shouldn't say no one, but I you know, I was quite shocked that the NDP formed government and that they formed a majority government. Are they going to take that bullet, bulletin and ride all the way up, having, what, one seat, two seats right now? I don't know. And the thing is, what I was going to say, if you've been around as long as I have in this province... You've grown accustomed to the idea of a majority government with a small opposition. Mm -hmm. But in almost every other province and nationally, there's quite often a government and a strong opposition. Sometimes the seat numbers are very similar. But but in Alberta, we don't seem to do that. We swing like a pendulum. I, I I would love to see the Alberta party take from both sides and create a very strong third uh, second opposition party See, the, and the fear would be whether. you never know it's like rolling the dice yeah. the fear would be of course just as the fear was with the wild rose and the conservatives that votes the NDP better. would come up the middle right mm-hmm. uh, that they would split votes and so the concern has to be again that the Alberta party will split votes votes with the UCP party and allow the NDP to remain in power if that's not what you want that would be the fear uh, that would be the hope if that is what you want the NDP government to uh, and there is no election called by the way, so I don't want to put it. There is no election been been called or anything like that. But you watch the next year and a half. It's interesting what, because 2019. You would think, to be honest with you, the if you had only a passing interest in Alberta politics, you would honestly think the UCP 
was already in government. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, they've elected their leader. They've gotten a ton of press, obviously, because that's all been going on. They've they combined the two parties. So we've been talking about the UCP, 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 but they honestly represent such, they represent practically nothing in the House. Here's a question for you. So I know uh, Mr. Mandel was involved with this Alberta Together movement uh, that, you know, started to build during the summer. It was the former PC Party executive, Catherine O'Neill, who's been on this show, Mm -hmm. who kind of pushed that and, quote, at the time was to aim uh, and grow a fearless, focused and forward thinking centrist political voice in our province. Stephen Mandel at that point was was one of the supporters of of that organization, of that group. Do you believe that his ties to the to the Prentice government will have people, though, still seeing him as too PC, not centrist enough? Great question. And here's what I think, and it's just what I think. You know what I think people in this province really want? Or what would make them really happy? I think what would make them really happy if the Alberta party um, collected up a lot of the MLAs and a lot of the policies that the old PC government had Mm -hmm. and the people that they had, like Heather Klemchuk Mm -hmm. and Stephen Mandel Mm -hmm. and some of these people, I think it would make people really happy and comfortable if the Alberta Party changed their name to the Conservative Party, now that the name's available, and we went back to the way it was before the NDP. I think a lot of people would go, yep, I'm uh, happy. And I'm going to say that there's still too many in this province that say that as Conservative, it's not centrist enough. What they want, I believe, is what most people perhaps, may, uh, you know, this is a pretty bold statement. They want um, a Conservative... They want fiscally, fiscally, fiscally conservative, conservative, socially... Socially liberal. Yeah, and but I know that... But I wouldn't necessarily say the last Conservative government was socially no, liberal. No, <laughs> but the pro, you know, the whole thing... The Wild Rose was formed out of those who wanted to be strictly conservative on all fronts that that, that they felt the party was moving too centrist, right? That is how the Wild Rose came to be in the first place. Now that those two parties have come together, the op- or I shouldn't say the opposition, no, I'm doing it. The NDP are painting them as too far right. And so now this is an opportunity for another party. The problem is the Alberta party, the name and, and, the, and just the idea for us as voters saying the Alberta Party. Well, it's a new party. It didn't really, doesn't really have... That's why I say, if you were to call the Alberta Party, we are the Conservative mm-hmm. Party, and mm-hmm. we're going to return things to the way it was before Mm-mm. the because, Conservatives because started making all that. the mistakes. They don't want they, that. You know what they don't want? They don't want people flying in planes with their daughters, and they don't want... You know, you know $1,000 orange juices and... Yeah, that's right. And you know? you know what I want? I want a good candidate. Yeah. I want a good candidate in every riding, someone who is interested, who's just not a name holder, who is a paper candidate. Mm-hmm. I want good candidates, and I'd love to see the Alberta Party, or whatever name it may be, run a full slate of candidates, and we have an election where we have a choice between three distinct... Good, great candidates. Ca- uh, three and different parties with great candidates. I'm going to say something's going to anger a lot of people, and then we'll take a break. I want a government, whatever the stripe of the government be, whatever the color of the party. You know what I want? I want a government to stop arguing about bathrooms and start putting everybody back to work. That's what I want. And I understand that bathroom discussions and all those kind of things are important. I don't want it to be the priority of the government. I don't want it to be the only talking point for a government. I want you to take care of your people, but that includes uh, most vulnerable people all the way to 
people like me who are not vulnerable. I want my friends to be working. I want, yeah. I want the economy to be moving ahead. I want not to be in debt for my grandchildren. But that bathroom conversation is a part of human rights. It's it, just very it, important. It's all important, but yeah. is it the most important conversation? Mm, it is a very important conversation, but right now in this province, we know that the economy is it front should and be center. the most important. Okay, we need to take a break here. It's 3.50. Uh, 354. We'll head over to uh, Global News Chief Meteorologist Jesse Byer. Hey, Jesse. Are you guys shoveling yet? Oh, no. Well, depends what you think we're shoveling. <laughs> I do. Uh, we shovel it <laughs> every day. We've been on the air for two hours. <laughs> I meant the snowfall. Ah, uh, I see. Well, I didn't really I even have to... I think leaf blower might work. Yeah, I didn't even really have to wipe off my car today because with the wind, it kind of uh, blew yeah. the snow off. But the snow continues. So do we still have a snowfall warning? No? No. Okay. Not... not- for the city of Edmonton, that was dropped uh, a short while ago, um, but we are still seeing a few light flurries. That'll probably continue as we head into this evening, but as you mentioned, hard to get a little bit of those totals coming in because of the amount of snow that has been blowing around, so even though it has uh, stopped snowing for the most part off and on this afternoon, it is still causing a few problems on surrounding area highways as well as roadways within the city. That wind will still be gusting near 20 to 30 for most of this evening, so that's uh, causing some wind chills in the near minus 30 range, and we are getting a few snowfall totals that are starting to come in. So for the city of Edmonton, fairly close to that five centimeter mark, give or take a centimeter or two either way. But Sangudo up to seven centimeters, White Court um, up to 12, Thor Hill 13 centimeters recorded. And then uh, even closer to home, you have uh, Cold Lake around eight centimeters, Gibbons up to eight, Legal, uh 10. And then Westlock, close to 10 centimeters. So most areas in that 5 to 10, close to 15 centimeter range, which uh, isn't nothing. It's not a, a huge dump of snow, but uh, again, it is causing a few problems on, on area It's high. more like the, you know, the wind and the I was going to say, when coupled with wind, though, stuff, yeah. right, like that mm-hmm. causes issues on the highway, right? And oftentimes, Jesse, your forecast that we get over here includes wind. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, often I'm like, why are we talking about the wind? But when you combine it, though, with seven centimeters of snow, that can make highways treacherous. Yeah, or minus 20 temperatures right. in a 15 to 20 kilometer an hour wind uh, makes it feel much colder. And, and that was more of the issue today. A lot of people were, um, I don't want to say disgruntled. I don't know why people get mad when there's not as much falling as was initially forecast. But, yeah. I mean, in our defense, <laughs> if we said two centimeters and it was five, then someone would be uh, upset about that. So you always want to be a little bit more on the what possibly could happen. I guess if you want to look at it from that side of the fence, yeah, we may have dodged a bullet here in the city of Edmonton, but, you know, areas just north of the city, you know, in that 10 to 15 centimeter range, and uh, that blowing snow really made a difference. So I think a lot of people appreciated the heads up, especially getting on the roadways around 10 o'clock, 8 to 10 this morning, when yeah. it was probably at close to its worst. So, so for the next couple of days, yeah. Jesse, what's uh, what's going to shake down? Cold Chilly. And sunny. Yeah. Yeah. Once we have this uh, Arctic air mass take over, I wouldn't be ruling out morning lows uh, tonight. Thursday morning and Friday morning, at least minus 20, possibly even closer to minus 25, or maybe even sub-minus 25 if we have those clear conditions with this substantial high dropping in. And then daytime highs, not a lot of sunshine or, I guess, 
sun angle to warm us up throughout the day. So even though it'll be sunny, it's hard to get those temperatures much higher than on the minus 18 and minus 20 mark for Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, we start to take a little bit of a turning point. You have the south southeast wind returning. Make the case for minus 10 to minus 13 for the high. And then for Saturday, Sunday, and hopefully even Monday, closer to the minus 5 mark, make the case for plus high temperatures uh, by around the middle of next week. Don't hold me to that. So much can change between now and then. But uh, as of right now, if you want to buy into it, it uh, could be close to around zero by next Tuesday. Oh, that sounds okay. great. Awesome, Jesse. Cool. Thanks for uh, the early check-in today. We'll talk to you tomorrow at the regular time. For sure. Bye-bye. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.